Hi, I'm Gloria, and I'm an alcoholic. I want to thank you, first of all, for inviting us here. Um, it's really, um, really been an experience up to this point, and this, this is really an experience, believe me, <laughs> getting up to this podium. Uh, thank you for your hospitality and, and for your gentleness. Um, that's been the thing that stands out uh, most of all since we've been here is just the feeling of gentleness. Uh, I could feel you loving my husband last night, and uh, I could uh, feel you loving Melinda today, and uh, I can feel you loving me now. God, now, <laughs> don't look at me, Melinda. <laughs> I got enough problems of my own with that. <laughs> We've come a long way um, to meet you, and uh, I'm very grateful for the, the opportunity to be here and um, to try to tell you um, a little bit about what it used to be like and what happened and what it's like now for me. Um, I'll start out by telling you that I love you because you're Alcoholics Anonymous. You're part of the power that uh, brought me from where I was 15 years ago to where I am today. And uh, where I am today is in the very best place that I've ever been in my life. Um, I feel um, more centered than I've ever felt in my life. I almost feel grown up. Um, I, feel, uh, I feel closer to, uh, to my God than I've ever felt before in my life. And uh, the world just seems a more peaceful place to me. And it seems like just all of a sudden this has happened. And uh, we all know that... Uh, it hasn't just been all of a sudden. It's been a day at a time. It's been uh, a lot of meetings. It's been a lot of pain and a lot of joy. And uh, I expect this feeling to continue to grow uh, in my time of alcoholics in my time in Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I feel that um, since I've been in this program, I've I've lived um, the fullest life that anybody could ever imagine. The fullest life that I could ever imagine uh, for me. I uh, I feel that I've had some of everything that goes into making up a full life. I've had uh, um, indescribable joy and excitement and uh, pain and, and uh, laughter and joy and, and uh, love and uh, anger and fear and <laughs> resentments and all the things that people who are uh, living on this earth uh, experience. And uh, with it all, I've had uh, so much support and uh, so many beautiful examples of how this program, how we live uh, as recovering alcoholics uh, within the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I've been very blessed um, to live in an area where I've been able to run across a lot of um, uh, extraordinary examples, I think, of uh, how to live this program. Uh, I'm one of those who believes they were born an alcoholic. Um, I know that... Um, it doesn't really make any difference um, whether we were born alcoholic or whether we, we became alcoholic at some point in our drinking because the solution's the same. It just happens that uh, I know that I was sick a long time before I ever took a drink of alcohol. Uh, I was uh, born into an alcoholic home. My mother was an alcoholic. My father died of alcoholism when I was six years old, and uh, then my mother married another alcoholic. And uh, I knew what drinking looked like. I knew about the violence that goes on in an alcoholic home. Uh, I knew about all those things. What I didn't know was that the people that lived there were sick. 
I thought that they were bad. I thought that they were shameful. And uh, I thought that I was bad and I was shameful and there was something wrong with me to, to be part of all of this. And I was always full of guilt and full of shame and full of fear uh, as far back as I can remember. I went to a little private church school and uh, there were only about 150 kids in that school and we went from grades one through eight. And everybody knew everybody else's business and um, it, it, um, um, it got to be where the other little girls couldn't um, come to my house and I wasn't invited to theirs, and I got uh, full of hate and jealousy and resentment, and, uh, you know, everybody knew about my house and, uh, and the things that went on. And, uh, you know, today, uh, I was thinking about that um, earlier today, about that experience in that school and how I used to uh, resent uh, the people in that school and the hypocrisy that I thought that I saw. And uh, I've come to a place in my life where I can be grateful for the education I got there because if it wouldn't have been for the education I got there, I wouldn't have any at all. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, I'm grateful for the things that they taught me um, about living. And I know that, uh, like the rest of us, they were doing the very best they could do at the time. Um, however, um, I didn't have that kind of understanding uh, at, when I was a child. And I hated them, and I hated especially the little girls that went to that school because I looked at them and I compared my insides to their outsides and naturally came up the loser. And uh, I looked at them and I thought that they were perfect. I thought that they had everything. They were pretty and they had the right clothes and they had the right family and they did the right things. And uh, I thought that I was uh, absolutely nothing. And I used to lie and, and tell them all these, try to make up stories about the things that went on in my house, you know, the little family trips and all this stuff and tried to make myself sound like I was like they were. And there came a time uh, when I was maybe 11 or 12 years old, I just got so full of hate and um, jealousy towards these little girls that I just uh, decided to quit trying. And uh, uh, I started running around with the boys. And I lost all hope at, about that time that there was ever going to be a good life for me. Uh, I just thought that um, I knew that people lived a good life, but I didn't think that uh, I was ever going to make it. I had a cousin who went to public school, and uh, he ran around with a little gang of boys, and to me they were very exciting just because they went to public school, but also because uh, by this time I'd seen a lot of movies, and my favorite characters in the movies were gangsters. Um, I didn't ever want to grow up and marry a doctor or a lawyer, I wanted to grow up and marry a gangster. <laughs> and I thought these boys were gangsters. Uh, they were maybe 12, 13 years old, but uh, to me they were gangsters. They stole hubcaps and uh, wore leather jackets and did exciting stuff like that. And uh, they became my friends. They became like my brothers. I was an only child, and uh, they came from homes. Most of them came from homes similar to mine, and so I didn't have to feel so ashamed when they came to my house. And we just sort of understood each other. And um, uh, they just became my friends. And the first time that I drank was the first time that I got drunk. Uh, it happened to be Christmas Eve, and uh, everything was going on in my house as usual. I was 13 years old, and uh, there was no Christmas tree and no presents, and just the typical night around my house. Uh, only this night I was feeling especially sorry for myself. I had a lot of opportunities uh, to do better things with my life, but I never could take advantage of those opportunities. I seemed to be sort of paralyzed with this fear and this shame. Um, that I just lived with constantly. Um, and um, I spent a lot of time uh, just sitting around saying, poor me, why me? And never trying to do anything positive about my life at all, always blaming everything on somebody else, blaming, blaming uh, uh, my inability to do things on somebody else. 
And so I used to go to this um, little uh, cafe uh, about a block or two from my house. And I'd sit there at night and drink Cokes and talk to the old man who owned the place until I thought everybody was passed out and it was safe for me to go home. And that's where I was this night. And some guys came along that I knew. Uh, they weren't the ones that I ordinarily was with, but I knew them. And uh, they wanted to know if I wanted to go for a ride, and I said yes, and we went for a ride. And uh, soon they started drinking beer, and I started drinking with them. Uh, it was just perfectly natural for me. I don't remember uh, making any decision, you know, this is good or bad or right or wrong. I just started drinking. And I don't know how many I had that night before I began to experience a feeling that was to keep me in bondage for the next 16 years of my life. The big book says that alcoholics drink essentially for the effect produced by alcohol. And the effect that alcohol produced in me that night was this feeling of I don't care. I don't care if it's Christmas. I don't care if my mother's getting beat up. I don't care if I'm bad and crazy and wild. I just don't care. And the next morning I woke up and I was in an abandoned car in a strange town and the effects of the alcohol had worn off and I was once again myself. And uh, I cared very much. Um, I was uh, more ashamed and uh, more afraid and more guilty than I had ever been in my life. And I was an alcoholic. I know I was an alcoholic from the very beginning. Um, I know, uh, I can remember knowing someplace deep down inside me that morning that I had found something that would uh, allow me to be somebody other than who I thought I was. And from that day on, I became willing to pay any price to experience that feeling. Of course, uh, I never dreamed what the price was would be, but it wouldn't have mattered. If anybody would have told me, I wouldn't have believed them. And the, uh, the relief that I found in a drink um, was worth everything to me. Um, I blacked out when I drank. I blacked out almost every time that I drank. And uh, that's what I wanted. I drank for oblivion. I never drank to be the life of the party. I never tried to be a lady. I never tried to function at school or in a job. Uh, I simply wanted out, and that's where alcohol took me. Um, from that time on, uh, I drank alcohol every chance I got, and I got a lot of chances because I just was free to run the streets. Uh, nobody was paying much attention uh, to what I was doing. And I always ran with an older crowd, and uh, I always ran with people who drank and um, not too long after I started drinking, maybe two or three months, I started using drugs. And uh, I used anything that came my way. It didn't matter what it was. I was never going to use drugs. Um, I, I seemed to have been ready for alcohol when it came along. Uh, I had seen how glamorous it was in the movies and uh, all this drinking. And, and uh, I always sort of had a fantasy um, that uh, I would grow up someday and I'd marry this gangster or Having, have one for a boyfriend, whether there was marriage involved, I don't know. And uh, I would, I kind of would fantasize that I'd have this big, beautiful apartment like the women in the movies, and uh, the doorbell would ring, and he'd come in, and I'd be dressed in something long and flowing, and the music would be playing, and uh, I'd go over to the corner, and there'd be a bar there, and a, a silver tray with crystal decanters, and I'd mix him a drink, and it would tinkle and all of that. And uh, I never drank out of a crystal decanter. Um, Never got a big apartment. I drank out of a lot of green wine bottles in a lot of alleys. Uh, that was uh, the way that I drank. Uh, but I, I had these kind of ideas about alcohol. It seemed sort of glamorous, the things that I'd seen in the movies. 
but uh, in this church school that I went to, they showed us movies about the evils of drug abuse. And uh, this one movie in particular, I think it was called Reefer Madness. Um, they showed wild-eyed dope fiends uh, smoking marijuana cigarettes, jumping out of speeding cars. And I thought, God, I don't want to do anything like that. So I wasn't going to use drugs. But uh, once I started to drink alcohol, just about, um, I was just kind of like a leaf blowing in the wind. Just about anything that, that came along, I, I did it. And uh, so the first time that I used drugs wasn't a big exotic deal. It was nose drops, and we drank them in Cokes. And uh, I was at this dance hall at a place called The Pike in Long Beach. And uh, that was um, not a good place for 13-year-old girls to be. But those are the kinds of places I put myself into. And uh, we went out to the parking lot, and we drank these uh, nose drops. And, and I experienced some new feelings that night. Um, I was brilliant. I could talk a lot, and uh, and I felt just all this, all these good feelings. And uh, uh, I thought this is one more thing they've lied to me about. Drugs aren't bad; they're good. And from that time on, drugs and alcohol went hand in hand for me, until I came to this program. Uh, I was never long without one or the other or both. Uh, I ran the streets, and I was uh, uh, always in a lot of trouble. I went to juvenile hall. I ran away from home a lot. And uh, uh, I was always running away from home. That seemed to be my, uh, my pattern from the very beginning. When things get uh, difficult, just run. And so I went to juvenile hall a lot, and I got in a lot of trouble. And uh, I had this boyfriend who was a longshoreman, and he used to take me over to Wilmington, over to the docks down uh, at those bars around there. And uh, uh, those are the kinds of places that I felt more comfortable in. Uh, I took myself and uh, put myself in uh, the most um, uh, filthy uh, places that you could imagine. And uh, I saw things that 13-year-old uh, girls shouldn't see. And uh, uh, I did things that 13-year-old girls shouldn't do. And I can tell you tonight that uh, I felt more comfortable. Uh, it was a, a more comfortable feeling for me to be in those places than to try to be in church, uh, in the church that I'd grown up in and uh, uh, fit in or in the school or in my family's home or any place like that because I felt that I was so bad and uh, so dirty that what I was didn't show so badly uh, when I was in those places. By the time I was 15 years old, I uh, uh, decided that I had a brilliant idea. Uh, I would get married, and then I'd be free, and there'd be nobody to tell me what to do, nobody to answer to. I, didn't, I never dreamed that husbands try to tell you what to do sometimes. Uh, I married an older man. He was 19, and I was 15. And we were going to live happily ever after. Uh, the trouble was that as soon as we got married, I married this longshoreman that I'd been dating. And uh, right away, he wanted me to stay home and be Betty Crocker. And uh, he'd continue going out and having all this fun in these waterfront bars. And I didn't like that idea, but I didn't think that I had any choice in the matter. And uh, so I tried to stay home, and I tried to be good and do the things that, um, that I thought that wives are supposed to do. Um, I didn't have any... Um, any uh, realistic idea about uh, about keeping uh, a house or any of those things. I, th I thought that it was like it was on TV. You had your dress and your high heels on and mopped with a little sponge mop and, you know, everything was was just easy and nice and uh, it didn't turn out that way for me. I couldn't, it all got away from me. And uh, I was um, afraid all the time when I wasn't drinking. I was scared to death. I, I remember being 16 years old and being scared to go out on the streets to go to the market in the afternoon. My mother always went to the market in the afternoon. 
so that's what I did. Uh, only, I guess, uh, I didn't realize she was going to get a bottle every <laughs> afternoon, and so uh, um, anyway, I didn't, uh, I didn't have anything to drink a lot of times, and I'd be scared that a car was going to drive up on the sidewalk and get me, and um, just, just full of fear when I wasn't under the influence of alcohol. And when I was drinking, nothing scared me. Uh, I was just, uh, uh, I just ran wild, ran the streets, ran those docks with no shoes on, just a young girl, uh, afraid of nothing, just, uh, just wild. Um, and uh, we stayed married for three years, and nothing much happened except that I got three years sicker, and towards the end of that marriage, I had a son. And one day, I picked him up and uh, walked out. And I never gave it a thought as to what I was doing to my child or what I was doing to my husband, least of all what I was doing to myself. Um, when things got difficult for me, I ran, and that's what I did. Uh, I went back to my mother's house. By this time, it seemed a better place to be than uh, where, I, where I was. And um, I was there one night, um, and I got thinking about this old friend of mine. He ran around in this little gang of boys that, I, uh, uh, that were my friends. And uh, we'd known each other since we were 11 years old, and we were always good friends. And I went to see him, and he was glad to see me, and I was glad to see him. And we went out that night, and we, we saw each other every night after that. And uh, he didn't seem to expect me to be anything other than what I was. He seemed to like me just the way I was. Uh, he didn't try to regulate my actions. He didn't want me to not drink so much. He liked to do all the same things I did, which was absolutely nothing. Uh, except ride around in a car and uh, uh, drink. Um, we got married. You, you, uh, we told you about that last night. Um, and uh, I was 19 years old. And I just couldn't stand to be by myself. I couldn't stand to spend any time with myself. Uh, my thoughts were always... Um, um, fearful and morbid and grim, and I, I'd always live in the remorse and the guilt of the past, and uh, I didn't drink when I was by myself at this point. Um, I don't know why, I just didn't. And so I'd always want him around, and uh, it seemed to me that when he was around uh, and I had something to drink, everything was okay, and that's all that I was ever concerned with until I got to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, we started having children, and uh, we had a boy, and then we had a girl. So now I've got three children, and life uh, got to be a real hell for me and everybody concerned. Um, I didn't know how to take care of these kids, and I didn't know that I didn't know. Uh, I just thought that I was bad, and I thought that I didn't care. Um, there was never enough money uh, for food and, uh, and alcohol. And when it came down to a choice between the two, of course, um, we had to drink. And sometimes when things got really bad, we'd take these kids, and I'd take them a lot of times and leave them with my mother-in-law. Uh, and sometimes I'd come home, and sometimes I wouldn't. Sometimes I'd stay gone from the house for days at a time. And uh, I had heard of women who uh, lost their children um, because they were uh, proved to be uh, unfit mothers. And I used to um, actually be out there and, and hope that that would happen to me. I actually uh, thought if somebody would go over there and find out how bad things are, they'd take those kids away. And, uh, and then everything would be okay. However, that was never to be my experience. Um, I always had to go home, and I always had to face my husband, and I always had to face my children and look in their eye 
And uh, worst of all, I had to face myself. And I'd have to wonder one more time what it was that kept driving me out onto the streets time after time uh, when I said I wasn't going to do that anymore. I didn't want to hurt anybody anymore, and I didn't want to do the things that I was doing. Uh, and the only answer that I had for living the way that I was living was that I was bad. <clears throat> uh, I remember having to take my children to school, and um, you know all those cards you have to fill out and answer five million questions just to get your kid in school, and I never knew the answers to the questions, and I'd be embarrassed and ashamed, and I couldn't wait to get out of school. Um, I could never take part in my children's activities at school because I couldn't uh, face the other mothers. I was afraid that they'd want to talk, and I didn't know what to talk about. And um, so that's the way it went. Uh, one time um, I took, uh, my husband and I used to sort of take separate vacations. Uh, sometimes I'd be gone and sometimes he'd be gone. This particular time it was his turn to be gone. And um, I was going to go find him. And uh, I left my kids with my mother-in-law and I told her I was going to find him and and when I did, uh, we'd come back, and uh, we wouldn't drink so much, and she wouldn't have to watch the kids so much anymore, and everything would be okay. Well, by the time I found him, uh, it didn't seem so important uh, to uh, take care of things at home. And by this time, I had cut my wrist, and they were all bandaged up, and uh, I never want to forget the way I looked uh, one evening in this house where I found my husband, um, at the time we were shooting um, uh, second all uh, sleeping pills in our arms and, and I was all swollen up and my wrists were uh, cut and bandaged up and I was skin and bones and I was sick and one night the police came. And I never want to forget uh, how that man looked at me one night and asked me if I didn't know what I was doing to myself and why was I, why was I living like this. And I didn't have any answer for him. Uh, I didn't know. All I knew was that I was bad and this was the only way that I could uh, uh, live. And eventually we ended up leaving town on a Greyhound bus and we uh, rode around California and Oregon in Greyhound buses and lived in uh, Salvation Armies and Rescue Missions and Wino Hotels. And I can tell you what I used to be like by telling you that I was more comfortable there than I'd ever been any place in my life. Uh, all I needed was my husband and something to drink. and. Um, everything was okay. Money, property, and prestige were never my thing. Uh, I had... <laughs> I learned a little of that in Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> I, uh, I didn't care about what I had to wear. I didn't care about where I lived. I cared about nothing except another drink and uh, my husband around. And um, we... Um, we just lived the best way that we could, and a lot of things happened to us, and uh, um, a lot of degradation and a lot of humiliation uh, for me uh, as a woman alcoholic living on the streets. Um, we got back to Long Beach eventually, and we, um, by this time he'd become a cook and I'd become a waitress, and we got a job in a little truck stop over on the west side of town, and we both had the same shift, and it was our day off one day, and uh, I woke up and he was sitting there and uh, drinking and we got talking and thought that it was uh, it would be a good idea to stop drinking long enough to save some money and buy the kids some Christmas presents. They were still at my mother's house, my mother-in-law's. And we talked about that and decided that tomorrow would be a good time to start. 
and uh, it was our day off. We had to continue drinking that day. And uh, uh, so um, we went out that day, and it turned out that night that he, he went to jail. And it, as it turned out, he was going to be gone for six months. And at that time, six months seemed like an eternity. And uh, he'd been gone to jail a lot of times before, and every time he went away, I got in a lot of trouble, more trouble than I ever was in uh, when he was around. But this time it was going to be different. This time I was going to show him that I could be grown up and I could take care of myself and I could do the right thing. I could be good. And uh, I really meant that. I wasn't going to drink and I was going to keep on working and I was going to take care of everything. And that lasted for about a week. And uh, one night I came in and I wanted a drink. And when I wanted a drink, I took a drink. And I started drinking and I started running. I was never the kind of... Uh, um, drunk that just sat around the house sipping. Uh, once I take a drink of alcohol, I'm out of control. And whatever comes into my head, that's what I do. And I, I never could stay in the house. I used to wish to God I could. But for some reason, I would just find myself gone. And uh, so I started drinking and I started running. And I ran into some people I'd known a long time before. And uh, they were robbing stores and uh, using heroin. And that's what I started doing with them. Before long, I found myself driving the car for these robberies night after night and uh, living in total degradation and fear and shame and all the things that uh, every alcoholic in this room has ever been through, uh, regardless of what the conditions were that brought you to that state of mind. Uh, uh, I've come to know in this program that uh, I'm no better and I'm no worse than anybody, any other alcoholic in this program. And uh, I know women who have suffered the same kind of degradation and the same, the same depths of despair and remorse and and guilt and shame uh, in their living room or having to go to the PTA meeting and pour milk. Uh, they, they suffered the same kinds of feelings uh, that I did as an alcoholic woman living on the street. Um, and I thank God for that kind of understanding today, for that kind of feeling of being a part of and fitting in. Uh, I no longer am apart from uh, women. Uh, I am a woman today and I know it. I'm I have come to terms with my own womanhood, and I feel just as good as every other woman that I ever run into. And I've come to love the woman alcoholic. Uh, I've come to, um, to understand myself, and uh, by understanding myself, I understand you. Uh, but when I got to this program, I hated women, and I didn't want to have anything to do with them. Uh, it's been, in the, been the women in this program that have given me uh, most of what I have today, uh, that they've taught me how to live and how to enjoy uh, life as a woman and how to enjoy my children and my husband and enjoy my home and uh, how to dress and how to talk and, and um, um, just all the things that I know today I've learned by watching the women um, of Alcoholics Anonymous, the examples that have gone before me. Uh, anyway, uh, I was living in this motel room and um, never went out until the sun went down, never went out in the daytime, uh, afraid to face people and, and living this, this in this pit and uh, one day I was laying on the bed and I saw uh, I picked up a newspaper and on the front page of the newspaper the second section of the newspaper was a picture of my little boy and I was startled to look at that and uh, the caption read that it was a, a Christmas party for needy children and Christmas time was coming and uh, we hadn't stopped drinking and we hadn't saved the money and we hadn't bought the presents and I was laying on a bed full of despair and remorse and shame and guilt uh, looking at a picture of my son um, and there wasn't anything I could do about that situation. Not long after that, I got arrested, and uh, they just kept me three days. 
because they didn't have enough evidence to hold me. I just drove the car and nobody could, could identify me. And they let me out um, one evening, and I didn't have any place to go. The room I'd been staying in was locked up. And by this time, it had been years since my family would have anything to do with me. I took uh, from them until they just uh, um, couldn't stand it anymore, and they just wouldn't have anything more to do with me. And anybody, any of my friends that would uh, still have anything to do with me were locked up in jail. So I didn't know where I was going or what I was going to do. And I thought of my first husband, and I called him up, and I told him that I was in some trouble and I needed a place to stay. And he said that I could come over if I didn't cause any trouble. You know, I thought that took a lot of nerve on his part to say something like that to me. Uh, of course, it was all his fault. All this was his fault. I always had somebody to blame for everything. I never took responsibility for my own actions until I got to this program. And the people here taught me that if I would learn to take responsibility for my own actions, I would find freedom within myself and a peace uh, that I had never experienced before. And I can tell you uh, that that's the truth. Those people didn't lie to me. Uh, I have learned to take responsibility for my own actions. And uh, I am free within myself. Um, there have been lots of times in this program, lots of situations that I've been through when it would have been so much easier uh, to blame somebody else. Uh, but because of the lesson that these people taught me when I was new, um, I've learned to look at my part in any situation and do what I can do about it through the application of the steps of this program and uh, walk on. And uh, uh, because of that, I'm not bound uh, with any um, uh, hate or resentment towards anybody. Uh, this works well for me most of the time, most of the time. And um, anyway, uh, I went over there and, and I was blaming him. and. Um, I don't know whether I caused any trouble or not. I don't know what I did when I was over there. I don't know how long I was there. I just know that uh, there was all I wanted to drink. And I started pouring it down bottle after bottle. And um, uh, finally the thing happened to me that I believe happens to every alcoholic who's ever given the gift of sobriety. It just simply didn't work for me anymore. No matter how much I drank, um, no matter what I did, uh, it just didn't uh, take it away anymore. It didn't take away the caring. It didn't take away the pictures. It didn't take away the fear and the guilt and the shame. And uh, I uh, woke up one morning and I was uh, yellow and I knew I had hepatitis. I'd had it twice before. And the doctors told me that if I ever got it again, I'd die. So I thought that I was dying. And I laid uh, in uh, a bed in this uh, room in my ex-husband's apartment and it was a filthy, dirty place, and there were no sheets on the bed, and nobody peeked their head in the door to see if I was dead or alive. And uh, that's just the way it was. I just laid there. And uh, when I heard voices in the other room, I would uh, stay in there and not show my face, and when I didn't hear anybody, I could come out. And by this time, my oldest son uh, had uh, chosen to go over there and live with his father rather than to stay with me. And uh, one day, I heard voices in the other room, and... Before long, they started saying happy birthday. And I laid there and, and heard that and realized that uh, they were singing happy birthday to my son. And uh, I was too sick and too ashamed to get up out of that bed and uh, go out and wish my own child a happy birthday. Um, I never want to forget that kind, of, um, that kind of pain and that kind of shame and that kind of helplessness. Uh, I never want to forget those things because I believe that those are the prices that I paid uh, you know, um, um, they write about the pearl of great price. 
And I believe that I've been given the pearl of, of great price today. I believe that I have something within me that's my very own. And uh, uh, the way that I got it wasn't very pretty. Uh, and the way that uh, I know that every alcoholic sitting in this room has their own pearl. And uh, we all had to pay the price uh, to get it. And uh, I'm willing to do anything that I have to do today to protect my sobriety. I'm willing to do anything I have to do today to take care of it. And, um, and um, I'm just as willing today as I was uh, when I walked in the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I was one of those who came here willing. I came here surrendered. I didn't want any more of what I had on those streets. Um, one day uh, he told me that he'd send me up to Harbor General Hospital in a cab. And then uh, that would be it. And so that's, what, that's the way it had to end for me. Uh, I rode up to a county hospital uh, alone in a taxi cab to die. And um, uh, I'm glad that uh, I ran out of everything before I got to this program. I stood in the waiting room of Harbor General Hospital, and I had on a pair of black Levi's that I'd been wearing for a couple of months. And uh, I was 29 years old, and I was bright yellow, and I was skinny, and my hair was long and stringing down, and, and I didn't even have an address to put down on the admitting form. And they put me in a room, and they started um, poking around on me, the doctors, and um, asking me silly questions like, why was I doing this to myself? And uh, one day the doctor came and said that he was going to do a biopsy on my liver. And he did that, and he came and told me that the results showed that my liver was so badly damaged that I wouldn't live over three years if I kept on going the way I was going. And I wouldn't live over five even if I didn't drink any alcohol or use any drugs again. And so I laid awake that night thinking about dying. And I always thought that that's what I wanted. I thought that I wanted out, and I hated life and didn't want anything to do with it And uh, until I got right down to it, and I got absolutely uh, terrified. I remembered what my grandmother told me happened to people like me when they die, and um, I was just scared to death. I didn't want that to happen. I knew that I deserved the very worst, and I knew I was going to get it. And uh, so I was so desperate that night that I started talking to God. And it had been a long time since I'd had anything to do with God, had, since I'd wanted anything to do with God. I had such a childish, fearful belief in, a, uh, in my God that um, I actually thought that if I asked him for anything, if I got his attention focused on me at all, that I was really going to get it. <laughs> I didn't know that my God loved me. I learned that in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I didn't know that he only wanted me to be happy, joyous, and free. I learned that in Alcoholics Anonymous. I learned everything I know about my God uh, today in Alcoholics Anonymous. He's given me everything I have. Um, I asked him for one thing that night, and that was just to please let me keep on breathing. That's all I wanted. I just simply wanted to stay alive because I was scared to death to die. And uh, I had what I believe to have been a spiritual experience that night. Um, it was... Um, there weren't any flashing lights or, or uh, windstorms going through my room, but uh, it was a very quiet thing. It wasn't as a result of the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. It was the result of a very loving God uh, coming to me uh, in a room in a county hospital, uh, letting me see a little bit of the truth for the first time in my life. And uh, it was a very gentle thing. And, and the next morning, um, the doctor came into my room, and he had a big smile on his face. He was all happy and cheerful, and he said, well, we've made a mistake. He said, you're not going to die. That shows you how much we know about the human liver. I thought, God, I've spent my night reforming, and this guy's made a mistake. <laughs> Today, I know it wasn't a mistake. I, I know that my God doesn't make mistakes. Um, 
I believe that it was the hand of my God just uh, nudging me a little closer to a place where I could surrender when the program of Alcoholics Anonymous came my way. I stayed in that hospital for a while longer. I don't remember how long it was. And um, then uh, they moved me over to another hospital in Long Beach. It was called El Cerrito Hospital. And they put me uh, up on the fourth floor. And it uh, turns out, after I got out of there, I found out that the only people up there were either dying or they had a mental problem. And I, it took me a long time to figure out why they had me up there. Um, anyway, the lady that was in the room with me, I learned some things from that lady. She wasn't a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'd never seen her before in my life, but she was um, dying of cancer. And um, uh, she'd be in a lot of pain, and they'd, they'd come in uh, with a shot, a pain shot for her. And I remember uh, the first few days that I was in that room with her, watching him give her this shot and, and watching what happened to her and thinking, uh, you know, sort of having a little tugging at my stomach and kind of um, wishing that I could have that kind of relief. And then uh, there came a day when all of a sudden I thought, why do I want to do that to myself? Why do I want to put something inside me that kills me? And it was just, just one of a whole lot of awarenesses that my God started giving me uh, when I was in that hospital. Just all of a sudden the lights were coming on and I was beginning to... Um, uh, to understand and to see things about myself and about where I'd been. And uh, I met a man in that hospital who um, just started coming around in my room and started pestering me. Uh, I call him an angel today. I certainly didn't call him an angel then. Uh, I was on a retreat one time, and a priest said that uh, angels are messengers of God. And I have a thing about angels. I like them. And uh, so I uh, consider the people of Alcoholics Anonymous to be angels because you certainly carried God's message to me. And this little guy was the first of many angels that have come my way in this program. If you saw him, you wouldn't think he was an angel. It would be hard to see his wings. <laughs> but uh, he, um, he doesn't always stay sober either. Uh, but he, he sure uh, got me where I needed to be. Uh, he kept coming around in my room, and he was a patient in that hospital. And he wasn't even on the same floor as I was. Neither one of us really know how he got started coming to my room telling me about the Alcoholics Anonymous meetings that they had in that hospital. But he just kept coming back. You know, they could keep coming back. Well, he kept coming back, and I kept uh, wanting to get rid of him. But he was a new member, and you know how they are. They want to save the world. <laughs> and um, he was out to save me. And uh, so finally, when I went with to a meeting with him, they had two a week in that hospital. And he wheeled me down there in a the wheelchair. They wouldn't let me walk yet. And uh, I sat around a table uh, full of people, much like yourselves, with that same look in your eye and the same smile on your face and the same feeling of gentleness was in that room that night. I don't remember anything that was said for the first few meetings, but I do remember how it felt. It felt warm and safe and gentle. And uh, the people there began to love me well. I didn't know that that's what they were doing at the time, but uh, I know that now. And I kept going back to those Alcoholics Anonymous meetings for exactly the same reason that I kept going back to alcohol, because I liked the way that it felt. I liked the way the people, it felt when the people put their arms around me. And I liked the sound of their voices, the quiet, um, peaceful sound in their voice when they talked about uh, whatever it is they were talking about. Um, pretty soon I started hearing things in those meetings. Um, somebody told me something that I believe opened up the gates of hell and let me out and allowed me to be a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that was that um, I was not bad, that I was sick. And they told me that Alcoholics Anonymous is not a place for bad people to come and get good. It's a place for sick people to come and get well. And they told me that I could get well if I wanted to. And all I had to do was uh, 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 
stay close to the people of Alcoholics Anonymous and try to put the things that I read about in the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, into practice in my life, and that I would never have to go out and live the way that I'd been living. And it gave me hope. And uh, I began to be blessed with all sorts of gifts. Uh, for one thing, I, I believed these people. I believed what they said. And uh, it had been a long time since I believed anything or anybody. But I believed what these people were telling me. They told me that Alcoholics Anonymous, Anonymous is not a place for people who need it. It's a place for people who want it. And they said that all I had to do was want it and I could have it. That's all I, all I had to do was just want it and I could have it. And uh, I continued going to meetings there and I don't know when it happened, but at some point during my stay in that hospital, I developed a desire to stay sober. I was given this gift uh, that we all share here tonight, the thing that we're all celebrating here at Blue Ridge this weekend in this gorgeous place. Uh, what a gift God's given us to be able to meet in a place like this. Uh, where you just look out the window and I just stare and I know that I'm in I'm um, I'm looking at the hand of God and I look and I stare at you tonight and I know that I'm looking at the hand of my God I know we've all been touched by the hand of God to be here tonight because um, we've all come from uh, from dark uh, dirty painful places uh, and uh, here we are tonight uh, sharing uh, celebrating uh, sobriety um, when it came time for me to leave this hospital, I didn't want to go. And uh, the reason I didn't want to go was because um, I didn't want to drink anymore. And I knew that if I left, I would drink. I knew that I had no place to go, and I would end up with the same people doing the same thing. And a man who was secretary of one of the meetings told me that um, there was a place in Long Beach called the House of Hope. And he said it's a woman's recovery house. And uh, he said he'd take me over there, and I could talk to the house mother and see if she'd let me come and stay with him. He said, girls, just stay there and... and uh, go to AA meetings and get better. And I'd never heard of such a thing. I didn't know there was help for people like me. My father died of alcoholism um, in his bed in our apartment one night when I was six years old. And I remember my mother calling all night for a doctor and nobody would come because they knew he was a drunk. And um, I just didn't know that there was any help for anybody like us. Uh, he took me over there and I knew that they wouldn't, um, they probably would talk to me and ask me the questions and they'd find out what I was and where I'd been, and they wouldn't want me there with those other nice girls. And uh, I was very much uh, surprised because um, I sat across from the house mother that morning, and for some reason she was in her bed that day. I guess she didn't feel good, and she sat perched up on top of her bed. She was real cute, looked like a little pixie. She had a big smile on her face, and I sat across the room from her, and she said, do you want to come and stay with us, honey? And I said, yes, I do. And she said, okay, you can move in tomorrow. That was it. <laughs> Nobody asked me how much money I had or where I'd been or where I was going or what my morals were or what step I was working. They just said, she just wanted me. If I wanted to be there, then she wanted me to be there. And it was a big dramatic example of the acceptance that I've been given in this program uh, ever since I've been here. I moved into that house and I began to see the program in action. I began to see people living the things that I'd heard them talking about uh, in these meetings in the hospital. Um, I, first of all, was amazed to see a group of women living together in peace and harmony, relative peace and harmony. Um, I was amazed that I was uh, willing to go live with a house full of women. Like I say, I hated women. I didn't want anything to do with them. Uh, and I, uh, I quickly uh, turned around in that house. Um, I remember girls coming up to me, um, just the other girls in the house, not the people that worked there, just the other girls. And uh, 
putting their arm around me and, and I, I maybe wasn't able to carry a bowl of cil uh, cereal across the room because I was shaking so badly. And I remember particularly a girl coming up and taking it and carrying it for me and telling me it wouldn't be long and I wouldn't be shaking like that. Just those kinds of little things that, um, that just meant so much to me. Uh, I remember seeing a sign next to the coffee pot in the dining room and it said, Smile, God loves you. And I thought, no kidding. <laughs> God loves me. And uh, I thought about that little sign and it, it, it came to mean a great deal to me because I came to believe in that house that I did have a God that loved me. And um, uh, I found my God in that house. There used to be a, a, a minister who'd come in the house once a week and he'd talk to us girls and uh, one day he said, I want you all to just close your eyes and be real quiet and um, just imagine what would happen if God walked into the room right now. Who would he be and what would you do? And at first, my first thoughts were, uh, I was afraid. And uh, then it came to me um, that my God was my father. My father had been gone a long time, and it was easy for me to pretend about a father. And uh, that's who my God was that day, 15 years ago, and that's who he is today. Uh, he's a very loving, gentle father who wants me to be happy, joyous, and free. And uh, he's with me all the time. I don't know how. I don't know how I could ever possibly have stayed alive out on the streets uh, without um, without any contact with my God. Because if it wouldn't have been for the belief that you, you have led me to uh, in a God of my understanding in Alcoholics Anonymous, I, wouldn't, I couldn't have any sanity today. I wouldn't be able to live. Uh, today when things are going on in my life and they, they're sometimes very painful, uh, sometimes I get afraid, sometimes uh, lots of things happen. And uh, uh, I know that there's a quiet place within me. And I know that, like the book says, that we find the great reality deep within. And that's where my God is, and, and I can go there any time. And he's there, and he takes care of me, and he lets me know that it's going to be all right. Um, I started writing to my husband, who was uh, still in jail, and I told him where I was and what I was doing. And he wrote back, and uh, we started sharing our excitement about this program. And life got to be very exciting. I got to where I actually looked forward to the day. I actually even looked forward to getting up early in the morning, <laughs> like they told me. And um, I did everything they told me to do. I was surrendered when I got to this program. My husband wrote me a letter one time, and uh, he said that he had um, found a place in the book that if I would look at that particular place, I would find out what my problem was. He'd been kind enough to research my problem. And um, <laughs> the house mother said for me to write back and tell him to take his own inventory. And uh, we began to share, and like I say, it, it, life just got to be uh, so good, uh, so quickly, so quickly. Um, I began to care about other people, and uh, I began to care about myself, and uh, I wanted sobriety more than anything else in the world. And I fell in love with the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I got active right away. People gave me the good, the good uh, fortune to be active in this program. When they'd asked me to do something, I actually felt like they were giving me a gift, and I do today. When somebody asks me to do something in this program, I don't, always, I don't always just say, oh, good, I want to run right out and do it right now. But I know inside me that they've given me uh, 
uh, one of the most precious gifts that I could ever be given. And I feel that way when I ask people that I sponsor or, or people who are newer than myself or older than myself to be um, uh, to do one thing and another in this program. I feel like I'm sharing something with them and giving, giving them something. I believe in service and I believe in the action in this program. I believe in action uh, within and uh, without. If it wouldn't have been for the people who gave their lives for this program, I would be dead today, and so would some of you. If it wouldn't have been for the people who spent their lives traveling this country and uh, traveling each city and going and making coffee and, and uh, picking up uh, ashtrays and sweeping floors and doing all these things when they didn't want to do it, um, uh, I would be dead. I would be dead today. And it's easy to stand up here and talk about gratitude and... Um, and uh, say all these things, uh, but it's quite another uh, to put those uh, feelings uh, into action. And I hope that, uh, that I'll always remain willing uh, to be of service in this program and to, uh, to act out my gratitude uh, rather than to uh, just stand at a podium and talk about it. Uh, it's given me, this program's given me everything I've got today. Uh, it has saved my life. It has saved my husband's life. It has saved my children's life. Uh, the people of Alcoholics Anonymous have given me everything that I have today. My God works through people. And uh, every time one of you come up and hug me, I know that my God's hugging me. It's, it's my God's way. This is the way he comes to me, is through you. And uh, I get in an AA meeting, and I'm okay every time. When we said the serenity prayer here tonight, my stomach some of the knots untied uh, because it was an AA meeting and when I get around you um, uh, I'm okay and I feel my God loving me through you um, my husband came home from jail and uh, we moved out into the alley behind the house of hope they said don't get too far away so we didn't get too far away <laughs> and uh, started uh, living this program together and we didn't know if we were going to be able to stay sober together or not the women that I was talking to told me that if I would keep my program first, um, that everything would be okay. They couldn't guarantee me a happy marriage. They couldn't guarantee me well children. They couldn't guarantee me anything except sobriety if I kept the program of Alcoholics Anonymous number one in my life, and I'm grateful that they told me that. Um, my husband and I uh, um, somehow have, uh, through the grace of God, been given a, a very precious gift of a, a very good marriage. Sometimes it's, you know, just like any other long marriage. Sometimes you like each other and sometimes you don't. Um, but it's, uh, it's a kind of a day-at-a-time proposition and so far so good. We've been able to share a lot of things in this program and uh, I don't have any answers for that. I don't have any answers for that success except that it's just a gift from my God. I don't know. God knows uh, that we've done everything we could to uh, destroy that love that... Uh, that came to us so long ago and that marriage that we entered into without even knowing what we were doing. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing the day I married my husband. Everything used to be temporary to me. Everything. When they brought me my first child, it, seemed, it didn't seem real. Or my second or my third. And the day I got married, it was like, well, this is just for now. And uh, nothing seemed real to me. And today I, I live in reality because of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and I actually like reality. I would rather be in reality today than uh, in fantasy, and that's something new for me. Uh, I used to use every device that there was uh, to escape reality, and today I would actually rather be in reality uh, than to, uh, to try to run. Doesn't mean I always am. Doesn't mean I never run uh, from things in one way or another, but uh, for the most part, 
I, I can stay in reality today. And that's something I certainly didn't have before I got to this program. <coughs> Eventually, we got our children home, and I uh, started learning how to uh, practice this program and uh, uh, learned how to um, try to be a mother. And I just knew when those kids came home that it was going to be impossible for me to stay sober. I told my sponsor, I said, I'm never going to be able to handle this. What I thought was that it was going to be the same kind of feelings, the same kind of fear, the same kind of guilt, the same kind of panic that I had always felt uh, as a, uh, a drinking alcoholic and that I was never going to be able to stand those feelings. My children came home, my uh, two youngest came home from their grandmother's house. Uh, my oldest never came home till he was 18. But the two young ones came home and uh, they didn't know me and I didn't know them and I was ashamed. I, my little girl came and I, um, I didn't know her. And my little boy used to just hang on to me. Um, when I was drinking, I went over there to see him one time and he hung, hung on to me and squeezed me as hard as he could and he said, you're not bad, Mom, you're not bad. And he was just a little teeny boy and he wanted to love me. And um, my little girl came home and uh, she wanted to love me. And I wanted to love them, but we didn't know each other. And I thought that I had uh, left my rights to motherhood out on the street. I thought that I was never going to be able to uh, feel those feelings and accept the things that, um, that it looked like other women had. And uh, we had uh, a lot of trouble. Uh, my children are all, uh, they all have a lot of problems. They're all very sick. And uh, thank God for the women in this program and the men who taught me through their experience that I didn't have to accept the responsibility for the sickness in my children. And if there are any women in this room tonight or men who feel that you um, are the center of the universe and that you've created everything that's wrong with your children, you haven't. Uh, that's what they told me. Uh, I could accept responsibility for, some of, for contributing to some of their problems, but I certainly was not the cause of the whole thing. And little by little, my, my guilt began to dwindle away. And uh, through the uh, steps, through fourth and, and fifth steps, uh, over and over, and through turning my life and my will over to the care of God over and over, I'm not one of those people that thinks that you just take the steps one time and then throw them away. I feel that it's a program uh, of uh, living, uh, and uh, I hope to be living for a long time. And uh, I want to be living sober. And I want to grow, and I want to know how to live uh, better and better uh, each day. And I need the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous to do that. I need them in the present. I need to clear away the wreckage of the present as, where, as well as clearing away the wreckage of the past. Um, they worked as good uh, the 20th time that I, I used it as uh, each step uh, as it did the first time. And each time I come to a deeper understanding of myself. And um, without that, I wouldn't be here today, without the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous working my life um, now in the present. I don't want to stand here and just tell you about what I did back then, uh, because what I did back then, like the book says, we can't rest on our laurels. What I did back then is part of what I am today, but it's not uh, responsible for all that I am today, for all the peace that I have and all the promises coming true in my life. Uh, I have to keep at it, and I believe that uh, all of us do. I've seen what happens to people who um, don't think that they have to continue working this program in their lives. Uh, eventually, I got to a place where uh, where I could be quiet, uh, quiet enough to 
practice the 11th step of the program and uh, practice meditation in, um, in my life. And it's a good thing because, uh, like I say, my children were sick and, and I didn't work. And Alcoholics Anonymous has been my life from the very beginning. And, and all my time was uh, taken up in Alcoholics Anonymous and these children. And uh, our boy, first of all, started having trouble and he was very sick. And we ended up having to go and take him out of jail for some very grotesque things when he was 11 years old he started and uh, the whole cycle started over again and I thought you know when I got sober I wasn't going to have to be in those places anymore and live and all that stuff and and um, here it came and it was with my boy and and uh, um, it was uh, it was a heartbreaking thing and there came a time when I had to take him and enter him in a psychiatric hospital and it turned out I was alone that day there was nobody to go with me and uh, I sat in the room with him and was getting ready for the doctor to come in and start asking the questions, and I just knew that I was just going to lose my mind. I didn't know what I was going to say or how I was going to go through it without breaking down my, my most, uh, the thing that I was most con concerned with was I didn't want to break down in front of him and scare him. And I was able to um, get up and leave him sitting in the room and go into the restroom and find this place deep within myself. Uh, and talk to the God that you people had given me. The people in Alcoholics Anonymous showed me where this God was. And I was actually able to uh, tap into this power greater than myself. Uh, the book says that lack of power was our dilemma. And uh, uh, we've been shown a way to, uh, to a power uh, that relieves us of this dilemma. I'm no lack of power is no longer my dilemma. And it wasn't my dilemma that day. But I didn't know it until that day, until that experience, that painful, horrible experience gave me the knowledge that this power could take me through anything, sober, and that I could walk with my head up. And I left my, chi my child in that hospital and walked out with my head up, and I didn't walk in shame any longer. And I had a God who could take me through anything. And he has. He's taken me through lots of things. Like I say, uh, he's been there in the joyous times, and he's been there in the painful times. Our daughter was uh, an absolutely uh, beautiful child, and uh, it was with her that I learned to be a mother, that I got, I got close to her, and we became like sisters. And uh, we'd shop together, and she, she was uh, my joy. And um, she went to a church school. We, everything was going to be right for her. She was going to have it all. And um, she was 16 years old, and she was a cheerleader, and... Um, some things happened and she wasn't, um, she had to leave this church school because they just said that we weren't of their, um, their denomination. And uh, so she left. And that summer she came home drunk. And she, uh, she continued drinking and she got started using drugs and she started running wild. And by the time she was 19, she was living in her car. And one night she had an overdose and her heart stopped in a hospital in Long Beach and we were out of town at the time. We got a call in the middle of the night and we, we came as fast as we could to the hospital. And she laid there in the bed and if I wouldn't have known who it was, I wouldn't have known her. This beautiful child, um, and I thought, surely this is it. Surely this is her bottom. She won't have to drink anymore. And I was trying to look for the good in the situation because my sponsor told me to always try to look for the good in every situation. So I thought, this will be the stop. This will be the end of it. And uh, the people in Alcoholics Anonymous came, and they waited to see her, and they came in and took their turn, and they all came, and they all loved her, and they all carried the message to her. 
And she came out of that hospital, and she stayed sober a while longer, and uh, that's been um, around three years ago. And uh, since that time, she's had another overdose. She's been in and out of this program. She's had a lot of trouble. And... Uh, um, but she knows about Alcoholics Anonymous, and she knows the love that's here. And I know that uh, today she's got six weeks of sobriety. And uh, I know that someday, uh, maybe this day, maybe this is it. And uh, the same God takes care of her that takes care of me, and I know that someday she'll find it. Um, my uh, oldest son came home when he was 18 years old. He called up one night out of the blue and said, Can I come and stay with you? And we, we said yes, and uh, he came, and we were going to a meeting one night. And he was in the back seat, and he was um, completely, uh, when he was a little boy, he was real smart and real uh, neat and clean. And he got into some of this angel dust, I, I guess, for a long time and other things. And uh, his brain was almost gone. And he was kind of timid and quiet in the back seat. And he tapped us on the shoulder one night and on our way to a meeting and asked if we thought maybe he could come to Alcoholics Anonymous. And he came, and um, uh, he's had to go out a couple of times, but right now he's sober and he's doing real good. And our youngest boy was the one who it seemed absolutely impossible for him to ever get any kind of help. He's been gone. He ran away from home when he was 13 years old, and he, he uh, never came home. And he called one day, um, it'll be two years in September, and said that he couldn't stand the shame anymore, and he wanted help, and would we do something to help him. And so we found a recovery house for him, and he went in, and he's been sober ever since, and he fell in love with this program the way that I did and the way his father did. And he's into everything. He's on every committee there is, and he's got babies, and, <laughs> and uh, he's, um, he's a, a sight to see, I'll tell you. He's a product of this program, and uh, I'm grateful to the people in this program who are loving my children uh, the way that you love me. And um, I've got it all today. I have peace inside me, and uh, I have the things that uh, the book promises me in my life. I live in a clean, beautiful home, and I go outside and I water my flowers, and they're mine. I have a place, and for the first time in my life, it's mine. Um, and life seems clean and good and whole around me. And I have a clean place for my children to come. And my life is full of Alcoholics Anonymous, and it's full of people, Alcoholics Anonymous people, and I love them, and they love me. And uh, I feel, I know that I'm doing what my God wants me to do. He's asked us to love one another. And I'm at a place in my life today where I can do that. I can fulfill that. Uh, I can love you. And I can accept the love that you give me back. There was a time when I thought I was never going to be able to do that. And it's mine today. That gift is mine. I'm useful today. I have a purpose for living. I'm no longer wandering aimlessly through this world with no purpose at all. Today I have a purpose in my life. And it's because of this program. When I was new, I used to shop around in junk stores a lot. One day I found a little wooden plaque, and it has some keys painted on it, and it says the keys to the kingdom. And I don't know what it meant to the person who threw it away, but I know it means an awful lot to me. I've had it hanging in my house ever since I found it. Uh, it reminds me of that place in the book that says now there's a sense of belonging, of being wanted, needed, and loved. In return for a hangover and a bottle, I've been given the keys to the kingdom. Thank you. Please. 
Gloria, on behalf of the Board of Trustees of Blue Ridge Retreat, I'd like to give you this small token of our appreciation and a very special message for you to take back to California. We love you. Thank you so much. What a gift. What a gift. 20 minutes from now.